<clears throat> anyway, uh, this evening I'll be speaking about the church. Uh, yeah, click. Turn it on too hard again, or no? It wasn't on at all. There we go. There we go. Okay, be speaking about the the church. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. According to the dictionary, the word church is a noun, a building used for Christian worship. When I asked my phone what the real meaning of church is, it says church in the Christian doctrine is the religious community as a whole or a body or organization of Christian believers. <clears throat> the biblical definition of a church is the body of Christ. All the people who accept Christ's gifts of salvation <clears throat> and follow his teachings. A church is much more than a building. In the Bible, the, ch the word church never refers to a building. It always refers to people, the people who follow Christ. There are many ways that people refer to the edifices or the building, uh, the holy place, the tabernacle, temple, place of worship, the house of God, the holy house, the house of Christ, kingdom hall, <clears throat> the ward, the holy sanctuary. Uh, now I have synagogue in here, but I'm not sure if that's correct because it's um, people who believe in Jesus are uh, ones who make up a church. Now Jews, that's a uh, synagogues of Jews, right? Right. So I don't know if uh, that would be proper or not. Um, also, I have my father's house, the house of the Lord, God's building, and chapel. <clears throat> now, I had uh, in there, I realized I made a mistake. I had, um, what are the two things I had in there? I had the word for the, um, I had mosque. That's incorrect because that's Islam and they don't believe in Jesus. So I took that out. That's incorrect. And um, the one, whatever the uh, Hindu built, call air buildings, but I took that out too because that's, like I said, it's the people who believe in Christ. <clears throat> so anyway, um, moving on. Uh, the church has been a vital part of the Christian faith since the time of Jesus Christ. Throughout history, the church has undergone many changes, but its purpose has remained the same, to glorify God and make disciples of all nations. In the New Testament, we see early church gathering together, gathering together to worship God, fellowship with one another, and carry out the mission that Jesus gave them. As believers today, we continue to gather together as a church to fulfill these same purposes. Tonight, <clears throat> we will explore some of the purposes of the church, uh, worship, fellowship, discipleship, and ministry and mission, which I have under uh, service. Uh, we will look at what the Bible says about each of these purposes and how they relate to our lives as believers. <clears throat> now, the first thing we're going to cover is worship. The purpose of the church is to worship God. 
the first uh, item I read from the Bible is John chapter 4 and verses 23 and 24, where we read, But the hour cometh and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. As believers, we are called to worship God with our whole being, both in spirit and in truth. When we came together as a ch- when we come together as a church, we have the opportunity to praise God through singing and prayer and the reading and preaching of his word. I lost my place already. There it is. Um, <clears throat> worship reminds us of who God is and what he has done for us, and it also helps us to center our hearts and minds on him. We see examples of worship throughout the Bible, from David's Psalms to the heavenly worship described in the book of Revelation. As we gather together to worship God, we join in the true chorus of believers throughout history and around the world who have praised him for his goodness and his mercy. After all, the place where God's people meet, the church, is called the house of worship. We sing hymns that tell of God's grace and sacrifice. The songs we sing have bits of scripture and help tell of the wonderful blessings he has bestowed upon us. We pray for our fellow members that are sick or have medical procedures up and coming. And we hear preaching of God's word. We read right from the Holy Bible and the truths that we cling to are backed up by the Holy Scriptures. We worship in spirit. I believe <clears throat> that I believe that is the Holy Spirit that indwells us. The truth is God's word and the word that is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is an inner essence of worship and public expression of worship services or daily acts of love which Paul calls our or Paul called our spiritual worship. Uh, The second reading from the Bible is Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where we see it reads, Excuse me. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. True worship is a valuing or treasuring of God above all things. There is a distinction between inner essence of worship and external expression of worship that Jesus mentions in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, which states, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for the doctrines that command <clears throat> and commandments of men. As far as Jesus is concerned, this type of worship amounts to nothing. That is what vain means. In vain they do worship me. It's nothing. There is no worship here. If there, was, <clears throat> if there is no heart in it, to Jesus, it means nothing. You may do all the works you want, go to the services you want. If the worship is of face value only and not of the heart, as far as God is concerned, it means nothing.
So what is an inner and authentic heartfelt essence of worship? Jesus pointed us to an answer in John uh, chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, where he says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who, must, who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Notice that worshiping in spirit is not contrasted with worshiping in the body or with the body. Instead, it is put alongside worshiping in truth. What does this mean? The right worship, good worship, or a pleasing worship is having the proper mental grasp of the way God really is, truth. Secondly, worship depends on the correct spiritual or emotional or affectional heart grasp of God's supreme value. Therefore, true worship is based on the right understanding of God's nature, and it is a right valuing of God's worth. Of course, his worth is infinite. Thus, true worship is a valuing or treasuring of God above all things. The inner essence of worship is the response of the heart to the knowledge of the mind when the mind is rightly understanding God and the heart is rightly valuing God. You could, use, <clears throat> you could also use words like treasuring God, delighting in God, or being satisfied with God. All of these inner responses to God reflect his infinite worth, worth and beauty. That is what worship was designed to do, put the supreme worth of God on display. In fact, the English word worship comes from worth-ship. That is to say, worship is showing, displaying the worth of God. <clears throat> the two acts of worship, the worship, we worship God authentically when we know him truly and treasure him duly. When the word worship refers to that valuing, that inner valuing becoming visible in the world in two basic ways. One is acts of the mouth, acts of praise and repentance in worship, services, or small group gatherings. The other <clears throat> is acts of love with the body, hands, and feet. Acts of love that show the supreme value of God by what we are willing to sacrifice for the good of others. We find these things in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Turn there with me now, <clears throat> and we read these words. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good <clears throat> and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Both these verses begin and end with the word sacrifice. Of course, the sacrifice is an echo from the Old Testament where <clears throat> sacrifices were at the center of the worship and displayed the value of God as we gave up a bull or goat to show that God was precious to us. We value his redemption that comes to us through sacrifice and now through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Through Christ, two things become worshipful sacrifices in our life. The fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name, such as singing, 
praying, repenting, and confessing, and secondly, the fruit of deeds. Don't neglect to do good. Share what you have. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God, and they are acts of worship. Now, the heart of worship. We see once again in Romans 12:1, which says, I beseech you, there, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So all of your bodily life done in love for another and in reliance upon God display the worth of God above all things and make up make us worshipers in our daily life. In summary, the inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, praising God, enjoying God, and being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. Now the next thing is fellowship. The first, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> those years of being stupid and smoking. First, the fact and experience of Christian fellowship only exists because of God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, and by, in the Spirit, has established in grace a relation, a new covenant, if you will, with humankind. Those who believe the gospel of the resurrection are united in the Spirit through the Son to the Father. The relation, rela- <clears throat> excuse me, the relation leads to the reality of relatedness and thus to an experienced relationship or a communion, if you will, between man and God. And those who are in Christ, as the Apostle the Apostle Paul often states, are in communion not only with Jesus Christ and the Father in the Spirit, but also with one another. This relationship, relatedness, relationship, and communion is fellowship. By his sacrificial death and glorious resurrection, Jesus Christ brought into being a new creation, a new order, a new epoch. Though this new situation will only be present in fullness at the end of this evil age, it is a reality now on this earth. Christ exercises his relation in this new creation in and through the controlling and liberating Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends in the name of Christ. Thus, to be in the Spirit is also to be in Christ. And this is another way of saying that Christians who are baptized into Christ and given the gift of the Spirit are dynamically related to the Father through the incarnate Son in and by the Spirit of the Father and the Son. On the basis of this relation, there is fellowship for Christians both with God and with each other. There we are. In the second place, it is probably best not to use the word community as a synonym for fellowship. The reason for this in is in modern English, 
Community presupposes individualism and thus carries a meaning that is necessarily foreign to biblical presuppositions. Fellowship with Jesus Christ also entails fellowship with his sufferings. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, we read these words, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Basically, the same is said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. <coughs> Excuse me. Which says... But rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Paul is convinced that the churches are partakers in the sufferings of Christ. Paul also points to a fellowship in the Spirit in 2 Corinthians 13, verses, verse 14. I'll give you a second to get there while I clear my throat again. <clears throat> my goodness, I'm giving me fits here. <clears throat> Which says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. This is a dynamic experience that is possible to separate in relation to receiving the love of the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son. In fact, to be in the Spirit is possible because of the fundamental truth of Christ's establishment of the new order, age, and epoch by his death and resurrection. Therefore, <clears throat> if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. It is important to note that Paul wrote in the indicative mood. It was not his <clears throat> purpose to urge Christians to become new creatures. Also, it was not his aim to tell them what they could or would become if they stayed Christian. The present position of Christians is that in Christ, united to him in the spirit, they are a part of the new order and creation. So Paul elsewhere writes <clears throat> of congregations being in Christ. You don't have to follow me here because I've got a whole bunch of um, scriptures. All of these following scriptures that I'll read to you or um, passages uh, have the words in Christ in them. Uh, as in Philippians 1, uh, 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1, of members of such being the faithful in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1, 1, Colossians 1, 2, and of the churches of God in Judea in Christ Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 14. Further, he insists that as such Christians are sealed in the Spirit, Ephesians 4, chapter, um, verse 30, consecrated in the Spirit from Romans 15, verse 16, righteousness in the Spirit from Romans 14, verse 17, and have life through the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Therefore, the richness of the experience of fellowship in the Holy Spirit is because of the reality of the new creation and of being 
in Christ. Christian fellowship is also a practical reality. So Paul was clear that the relatedness of Gentile and Jewish believers in Christ leads to a mutual obligation. For the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings. They owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Now there is discipleship. Where we edify the believers by teaching them the basic doctrines and beliefs of the Christian faith. These basic doctrines have been taught for two centuries and are basic to all branches of the Christian church. The apostles' doctrine forms the basics of the Christian faith and form the message of the church to the world in which we find ourselves. The message and the basic beliefs of the church do not change. Our methods of proclaiming the message change, such as evangelism, but the basic beliefs of the church have been established since the early church. All believers must be discipled in the basics as the basic teachings from the foundation upon which a powerful life for the Lord must be built. If you would turn with me now to the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, we read these words. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. You know, when I uh, was typing that out and reading it, I couldn't help but to think of back to Hurricane Ian almost a year ago. Um, I've told you a couple of times how um, I prayed to God when the storm was uh, bearing down upon us, and how my house uh, virtually suffered no damage uh, to speak of. A few things here and there, but nothing nothing uh, comparable to what we've seen from Fort Myers Beach, Boca Grande, and uh, areas like that. And it made me, <clears throat> this made me think of that very situation, having a house founded upon a rock. Uh, as a Christian learns and grows in the basic truths, They are reaching maturity and will actually become more and more committed to the faith as they be as they come to understand it more and apply it directly to all aspects of their daily life. These principles to live by learned as we are discipled allow our walk with the Holy Spirit and other believers to be stable and secure, corrected, rooted, and grounded in the love of God as found and expressed in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 3, verse 17, which says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, Stability as a believer in the midst of all situations and circumstances is the result of this lifelong discipling process. Um, Another thing uh, that these words make me think of was the um, basic Bible truth lessons that Pastor uh, taught to. I believe he taught you um, 
taught them to you, Jason and Alicia, correct? And then roughly about the same time, I believe he was teaching them to uh, Tracy and myself as um, you guys had joined the church just shortly before we did, I believe, or around the same time. Anyway, <clears throat> and that um, makes me think of those uh, those um, teachings that Pastor did for us. And lastly, we have service. Um, this is where we are equipped with the gospel and move forward in learning to serve others supernaturally. The Lord states that the things he did, we are also to do on a daily basis. In John 14, verse 12, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. <clears throat> now, if you think about it, that means we are going to uh, be doing things that the same things that Christ did and some things even greater than he had done while he is off doing other things. Isn't that something uh, to think that we would um, have some of the uh, abilities that Jesus Christ would have? Um, it makes me think that um, Jesus is um, someone who gives and gives and gives and just never ends up giving, even after we've moved on to be in his service, he helps us service others <clears throat> in his name. I think that's quite wonderful. Yeah. Uh, let's see, going to, we are to serve others supernaturally as he did, healing people, bringing freedom and deliverance, allowing the blind to see, the lame to walk, and the deaf to hear, not to mention raising the dead. It's incredible. We serve out a motivation of love, agape or God's love flowing through us. This means that every believer has a ministry that they are to do for the Lord. Every Christian has somewhere they can serve others in the name of the Lord. The people who take the time and put in the effort to discover their gifts and calling are usually those who are at the core of the local church. Those the leaders <clears throat> can count on and who are there to help the church to fulfill her vision and mandate. They understand that there, there is always work that needs to be done and willingly pick up their task among the many that need to be accomplished. They see the Christian walk as a profession to be lived out and not just a set of beliefs to be embraced. Now, um, as you all know, this is um, this is um, brought to reality um, at this church here uh, not very long ago and just about every April, except for uh, when we had COVID going on. We all uh, pick a date when we come here to the church and uh, take care of things that need taken care of. Wade uh, shares in teachings, Miss K shares in teachings. A uh, pastor has asked me to um, preach every other Wednesday, which um, gives me a good feeling that he trusts me to do this. Um, also, um, David, who uh, takes care of the 
uh, books. Lori, who has a hand in the bulletin board, and many of the other um, things, writing out checks, uh, taking care of, um, what is it, if you will, um, checks coming in, money going out, that sort of thing. Um, we have our pastor, who is the leader of our flock, um, and they're just, everybody has a hand in something. Jason does readings um, and prays. Uh, just everybody in this church has some form of hand. Uh, when we fellowship in the back, everybody contributes by bringing food or uh, utensils, cooking, whatever the case might be. Um, that is it, uh, what we see here in these words. Uh, now I can did a good job of losing my spot. Serve others in the name of the Lord. Um, People discover then calling to the local church. They understand that there is always work that needs to be done and willingly pick up the task for many to be accomplished. They see the Christian walk as a profession to be lived out and not just a set of beliefs to be embraced. As a result, they choose to function within the context of their faith, both in society and the local church, thus finding fulfillment and self-expression as a believer. The church is being built by the head of the church, Jesus Christ. He is bringing correction and adjustment to local churches that, are, that currently exist and are open to the ministry of apostles and prophets. <clears throat> In Ephesians 2.20, I don't know if I highlighted this. It's probably not on the board. It is. It is. Okay. Um, we are and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Foundational shifts are taking place in existing churches so that they can be healthier and begin reproducing. Seeing many come to the Lord as well as planting another church as the work grows and begins to multiply its impact for the kingdom. As well, the Lord is leading those planting a new work to build according to the biblical pattern and thus pour a correct foundation for a healthy, life-giving church right from the start. There are five basic purposes for the church as designed and built by the Lord. Man has added many programs and purposes in an attempt to attract people to their local assemblies. However, a crowd does not make a church, and often churches are no more than a circus entertaining believers and no longer discipling, training, equipping, equipping, mentoring, and then releasing them into ministry done in the name of the Lord. It is time for a change, or it is time for this change as the Lord brings new life to his church and prepares her for the end times great harvest of souls. Um, it's, um, I enjoy our little church that we have here. Uh, I'm really happy that um, the Lord answers prayers and that he answered Tracy's prayer. And uh, had 
Chuck and Pastor going around knocking on doors. That was uh, part of their ministry uh, when they were able to. Also, Jason had picked that up for a little while and had done it with DJ. And as you know, DJ and uh, his mom and Dave helped take care of the grounds, the grass, and that sort of thing. And everybody here has a part in um, in this church, keeping it and trying to help it grow, uh, also keeping it together. Just by showing up, um, the pastor told me this back when, uh, I'm sure you remember, when I had backslidden and I had stopped coming to church on Wednesday evenings and on Sunday evenings, I believe. We we're just coming to the morning services on Sunday. And um, Pastor and Tracy were talking at one of our uh, fellowships or one of our meetings in the back. And um, Pastor had said to me that just by my showing up gives him encouragement. And so just by showing up, you don't have to feel that, you. Don't, well, I don't contribute. You are contributing. Yeah. You're contributing to uh, pastors feeling that he is making a difference. You give him encouragement just as he gives us encouragement. And I hope that uh, some of the things that I preach about and uh, that Wade preach about also give you that encouragement. Um, I appreciate everybody coming in here and listening to me this evening. Um, Thank you very much for your attentiveness. Thank you, Wade, for uh, doing the um, frames for me. And I have to unlock my phone all the time. It was doing things all on its own in 